Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Everybody, it's Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and you're listening to the Wrestle Talk Podcast. It's out in the night out. You're tuned in to Wrestle Talk. 657-383-1521. We'll be discussing WWE, NXT, Lucha Underground, ROH, Fantasy Wrestling, and we'll have some of the best damn interviews for professional and independent wrestling that you've ever heard. And I'm Joe Lance. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts, keep your arms in the vehicle at all times. Wrestle Talk begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa, loyal members of the Wrestle Talk family. Welcome to today's episode, episode three hundred and thirty five of the Wrestle Talk podcast. And guess what, amigos? We have made it through another month. The month of February is officially over. We are now into March, and we can start looking forward to springtime, WrestleMania season, and as always, more Wrestle Talk podcast. I am not here alone, though, tonight, my friends. Allow me to introduce, and I believe he's got some music of his own now, my co-host, For the first hour of the show, who will be taking over as the primary host for hour number two, and he'll be accompanied by Nightmare Jones. But ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, join me and welcome him in. Man who's usually behind the boards, handling business over at the FWWC, and tonight, my loyal sidekick. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Hardcore Hall. That's right, Night Owl. You got Hardcore Hoss working with you tonight, baby. Let's get it done. Well, JP, I know you got a lot on your mind. We're going to discuss all those things during tonight's edition of the Wrestle Talk Podcast High Spot segment. But before we get there, we got some business we got to hit on. First and foremost, huge shout out to you guys that are watching. Share the broadcast. We've got some stuff that we're looking to give away. If you share us, if you engage, if you dial that number, 657-383-1521. 657-383-1521. Anybody who's in the comment section, do me a favor and type that out. That's, once again, not, uh, I'm sorry, 657-383-1521. I don't care if you're calling from Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Virginia, West Virginia, Florida, New York, 
anywhere in the world, as a matter of fact, you're welcome to join us. And if you've got a great call with a lot of heat, we might give you a Zack Ryder autographed picture, which our buddy Todd won and donated it back to the show because he's not a Zack Ryder fan. So we have an, a Zack Ryder autographed picture that we're looking to give away. We've been trying to, we, we actually tried to give it away for a while. Nobody was really qualifying for the victory, okay? Todd won it during our Royal Rumble Skype party and then gave it right back to the show. So, again, it's not difficult to do, my friends. 657-383-1521. Because, after all, John, this show is not created for us. It's created for the fam. You want to be heard. Nobody's following you on Twitter. Facebook posts aren't getting the kind of reaction you want. We want to hear your opinions right here on the Talk Podcast. That's going to be coming up in just a moment. During the high spot segment. That's right. But before we get there, before we get there, eSports Bar KC. It's me speaking to you, Combat Everything, Pat Milicic, and, of course, Jay Hollywood. Wrath, Bumps, and Graving, responsible for these beautiful WrestleTalk podcast mugs. King Cade, Retro Zone at the Oak Park Mall. Royal Mills Transportation. Royal, uh, I'm sorry, Royal Mills Transportation. Uh, Painter's Dream Productions. And, of course, one of our favorites and our newest sponsors, I-70 Sports Media, Jeremy Carp, the maestro's very own I-70 Sports Media. Nothing but love and respect to those guys for supporting us and for everything sports Midwest, particularly Missouri, Illinois, Kansas, really the surrounding states. Make sure you guys check out I-70 Sports Media and tell them WrestleTalk Podcast sent you now. All that said, Johnny, we got to do what we always do about this time, and this is where we ask everybody to respectfully remove their caps, place your hands over your hearts as we pay homage to the greatest country on God's green earth. That's America, damn it! Oh, oh, say. For the land of the free. Brings a tear to my eye every time. (laughs) Love it. And John, let let me get this straight. Nightmare Jones will be taking my place and attempting to continue the live stream during the second hour. Is that correct? I believe so. Uh, I talked to him, and he knows that you're dropping off, and he's coming on, so I believe he's going to try to do the live stream. So hopefully things will work out. Well, you know, I hope so too, John. And the thing is that I legitimately have not been home for four days. I've been in Denver, Colorado uh, for uh, for my job. So I'm basically just getting back into town. Joe is going, he's actually in class right now, full disclosure, um, he's going to be done in about 45 minutes. That'll give him enough time to transition. Usually we do the show together, but he wasn't able to be here at the last show. I kind of filled in for him uh, where he was supposed to work with Jeremy Carp, I believe, or I'm sorry, he was supposed to work with John. John and I ended up doing it. So back once we get back to next month, it'll be Night Out, Jones, first show of the month like always. So forgive us if the schedule's throwing you guys off a little bit. We're trying to keep balance and make it work as best as possible. Callie's in the house. What's going on? My man Duncan getting lit. What up, 
And like I said, anybody who wants to call in and talk wrestling one more time, that's 657-383-1521. And just so y'all know, I'm not bull chiving, okay? I still do have that Zack Ryder authenticated autograph picture by the man himself, Matt Cardara, or Cardera, however you pronounce it. But you guys see it. There's a signature. There's a verification sticker right there. If you call in and you got a serious take, you got some heat you want to bring to the Wrestle Talk podcast tonight, you can either bring your own topic or discuss one of the ones that we're going to be discussing. Um, you can discuss one of the ones that we're going to be discussing, and we'll go ahead and send this out to you free of cost, courtesy of the Wrestle Talk podcast. All that said, Johnny, I think you know what time it is, baby. Let's go ahead and cue up the music as we kick off tonight's edition of the Wrestle Talk Podcast High Spot Segment. Mic check, mic check. Yeah. All right, all right. Wrestle Talk Podcast. DJ Money. Yeah. Let's go. Welcome to high spots where we pop news like flare chops. We talk shop, coming through the screens of a laptop. And non-stop like a one of the of black dot. We hit hard like chest shots and backdrops. Like a clock flash, look like a belly flop. Now that's hard. We up to speed while they stay slow. Wrestle talk podcast. Now they know we about to start the show. Uh. I mean, obviously, the first thing we've got to get into, I mean, the elephant in the room carries over from last week, I tell you. You know, last All week right. we were talking about The Miz and, and winning the title, and now this week we got Bobby Lashley with the title, you know. What what do you think about that night, Al? Well, you know what? I, I got to be honest with you. It's something I'm really, really excited about, but not for the same reason that many other people are. And i got to be honest with you, I'm going to get a lot of heat for this. And by the way, if you're tuning into the show for the first time, this is the place to voice any of that smoke that you want to bring to the table because we take off the gloves here. No gimmicks. Wrestle Talk Podcast. So here's why I mean that I'm not happy for the same reason that a lot of people are. Immediately after Bobby Lashley wins the championship, here we go with the same old stuff that we always get. First African-American this, first black that, first blah, blah, blah. It's about damn time. It's blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'm all for affirmative action, but how about we give the man his due? Not for what the color of his skin is, but for how thick his skin is. And all the shit that Bobby Lashley has been put through since returning to primetime television, okay? And I'm sorry, I know, listen, we, we support... Uh, uh, you know, Black Wrestlers Matter here. You guys know I'm Latino, born in Mexico. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for it, bro. I'm all for equality as long as that equality doesn't come at the expense of somebody who's actually earned the opportunity. What I'm saying is I don't want people jumping the line or getting cut in line either way because of the color of their skin. So let's, let's stop doing that all the time, folks. And I'm talking to my brothers in the African-American and Latino community. 
Why does that have to be the first thing that rises to the top? Oh, another black show. Guess what? Kofi did it. Rock did it. A lot of other people did it. That's great. No, man. The, the, the point of emphasis here, my friends, is not that Bobby Lashley is another black champion or, or one of the few black champions that we've ever had, though that is a nice note. What's important here is, like I said, everything that this man has gone through, the, the angle with his sisters, the situation with Lana, the, the getting booked on, uh, I think he was on, um, what's that show that nobody watches? It's not NXT. It's, uh, like, I don't know, Saturday night. What the hell is it? Main event? All these kinds of things that Bobby Lashley went through. Absolutely unprecedented Precedented for him to have this opportunity now, considering where he was six, eight months ago with the whole Lana Rusev angle. Maybe it was a year ago. I don't know. Let's focus on the amazing capitalization of an opportunity that he has made, as well as MVP, who has revolutionized and changed not only Bobby Lashley's career, but also the tag team champions. Cedric Alexander has become one of my favorite talents in all of professional wrestling. And what do I need to say about Shelton Benjamin? The dude's respected, one of the greatest athletes ever in WWE. That's the reason the dude's a champ outside of professional wrestling. I think it was Greco-Roman. He went to the Olympics, all this sort of stuff. Okay? So my thing is I'm extremely happy that Bobby Lashley has gotten the opportunity, not just to challenge for the championship, but to be the flag bearer for a company that he has sacrificed for and dedicated himself to. And that's why I think this fan should be getting a round of applause, not because he's the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth African-American slash black champion. That, that's a nice footnote to this story, but his dedication and his willingness to put up with so much bullshit to get to this point is why I think he should be acknowledged, bro. Those are my thoughts on Bobby Lashley. No, you're you're good, man. Because uh, you know I, I tend to agree with you, and you know if you think back to last week when we were talking about it, I, I told you then the Miz is just a placeholder. The question was for who, and and my point is proven. The Miz was just a placeholder for Bobby Lashley. So you know, and I'll give but we actually I'll give Miz his due, bro. He did a good job. He he did a good job for these two weeks. I, I think he really did. And kudos to him for getting another opportunity to hold the, the, the big strap. <clears throat> the one thing that disappoints me is that, you know, they kind of gave Randy a little bit of a run, but he kind of got his WrestleMania moment with Edge last year again. I'm just wondering if they're ever going to be able to give Miz his WrestleMania moment. And to me, a WrestleMania moment isn't always like winning the heavyweight championship. Mankind getting thrown off the cell. That wasn't necessarily a, a uh, you know, a, re- uh, a a WrestleMania moment, but it was like one of those moments that you're always going to remember. I'm just hoping that they're able to position Miz in a way where he can still have that, but not necessarily while being involved in the run for the top championship, because personally speaking, because of his physical attributes, which I discussed at length last week, I don't think he should be in it. Now you've got some real, and you'll like this, they got some real horses, some real big boys getting down for the main event of WrestleMania, and I could not be any more excited, dude. The buildup between McIntyre and Lashley 
is going to be outstanding. I see very, very little chance for anybody to screw this up, especially as hot as McIntyre has been and as great as MVP has been in his new managerial role, dude. I absolutely love it. I agree. I agree. And, you know, you you talk about uh, the fire and everything there. We actually have a person on hold here who's called in. His name is Maru, and he said you wanted somebody to bring the fire, and maybe he's here to bring the fire. So let's go ahead and get him on here. Uh, you know what? I, I happen. I think I happen to know this gentleman. Maru, I believe, was a guest here on the Wrestle Talk podcast a couple of years ago. If I'm not mistaken, working up in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, a little bit of a Samoan heritage, if I'm not mistaken, or are we talking to another Maru tonight? Well, let's find out. Maru, no, are you there? Hey, Maru. What's up, my brother? Thank you for being here. Hey, what's up, man? Actually, I was on your podcast years ago, actually. It's the same person. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. Hey, can we get you off speakerphone, Loco, so you, get, uh, you can come across a little louder, please? My bad. How did you know I was on speakerphone? Hey, I do this for a living, my guy. I'm, I'm decent at it. <laughs> It's just the sound. It's the sound coming out of the microphone. I mean, out of the speaker. So you're good. We can hear you loud and clear now, baby. But the floor is yours. The stage is yours. The square circle is yours, man. Get it off your chest, Daddy. What you got? Let me let me let me drop some stuff down to you right now. First off, I've been on this podcast before, but it was like five years ago. I'm surprised you even remember me. Okay, it was that long ago? Well, bro. Okay. Why 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 wouldn't and, I? And, you're an amazing talent. We're still friends on Facebook. Uh, I know you work your ass off pretty much until the pandemic hit. I mean, yeah, I, I've always been a big fan yep. of yours, man. That's yep. why you were on the show back in the day. Yeah, pandemic hit and kind of killed a lot of things. And in that time, I had a lot of time to reflect. And I had a lot of time to reflect on a lot of workers and promoters that did a lot for me. And one promoter that really now what's your rating on your show because I don't want to disrespect or, or or I don't I as you know in the end in the in the end when you interviewed Maru years ago he was a face in the end when it's all said and done I'm still a face in the end so what is the rating of the show Well I'm going to I'm going to answer that question actually you know what I'm going to let a WWE Hall of Famer answer that question for you let's see if we can get his thoughts Fucking bullshit! <laughs> I'm gonna let you fucking know that... right now. You guys we say go. the Midwest, but you're talking about the lower Midwest, okay? You're not talking Detroit. about the upper Midwest, right? With Wisconsin and, and Minneapolis and Chicago. places like that that have these horrible cliques that sit together in these locker rooms. And they have, they sit together and they work together and they actively work to push people out that are good talent because someone will call them the fuck out. And if you remember years ago when I came on the show as a face, I called people out. Do you remember this? Bro, I can't, I can't, if I want to be 100% honest, I don't remember any of the specifics of the conversation, but yep. I definitely remember having you on. Got it. But you do remember. About maybe it was five years ago, I was on the podcast. Around well, there, right? Of course, I made reference to that. I made reference to that. Of course, I so remember when you, you being said, on. Just not the specifics you, of what we discussed. Go ahead. 
When no, you I said bring the heat, I'm bringing the heat. The fact okay. No, no, no. Well, listen, I'm reiterating the fact that yes, that's why I acknowledge that you were a guest from before, but I don't remember specifically what we discussed. So please go ahead. The floor is yours. That is completely fine. I'm telling you this right now. I literally just got fired from a promotion I work for. Now, as we both know in pro wrestling, you really can't get fired because they can bring you back for any number of reasons. I work for mainly Midwest All-Pro Wrestling under Nick Dinsmore. Nick Dinsmore has been my trainer for the last almost three years. I've known him for over six years. I've been working with him and doing a great job. I've been working with RCCW and many other places, work with ACW, and here's the thing, I've worked with WPW under, under I'm going to say his, his, his work name, because I don't know his shoot name, to be honest with you, but it's Ben McCoy, okay? Are you ready for this? You want some heat? Because I've Bro, already ready. been letting... We're ready, let's go. I've already been let go from a certain promotion, even though I got many messages coming in telling me, thank you so much for telling the truth. Thank Maru, thank you so much for bringing it out because it is the truth, okay? I wrestled three shows for this man. Now, I know when I trained at IPW, okay? When I trained at the Funkin' Conservatory, when I trained with Nick Densmore, Eugene, you do not wrestle unless you get paid, Okay? So that's on me. So let's make this clear right off the bat. Wrestling without getting paid was on me. All right? Do we have that clear? Yes. Many, many make the same mistake, bro. You're not the only one. Yeah. But in saying that, when someone you trust, when someone that everyone trusts, like Ben McCoy, right, who completely controls the upper Midwest of professional wrestling, okay, this dude had me wrestle three shows for him, one of which I can link, and it was a great match. You will see the crowd loved it. It was great, and he loved He even called me and flat out said he loved the match, but he couldn't pay me. I did the uh, – um, we did the, the, the Jerry Lawler spot where I was commentating, and I was bitching that I was on commentating and I should be wrestling. You know what I mean? And then I get off commentating – I right, get right. in the ring and I get squashed, right. right? We did that, okay? Yeah, absolutely. So we, All right. we did three shows together, and the first show he said, I can't pay you, but on the next show I'll pay you double. So I went to that show, all right? I went to that show, and then I came in at Savage Maru, and he was like, oh, my God, that was great. I loved it. It was Samoan. It was savage. It was amazing. But unfortunately, I can't pay you on the next show at WPW. The next show, I'm going to pay you everything I owe you, and it'll be all good. I go to the next show, nothing. Ben McCoy pays me nothing. And then this guy, let me tell you something. This guy in the upper Midwest, all right, in WPW, I'm like, hey, man, you owe me money. And he's like, look, no, no, no. Um, a certain wrestler was going to come down and get the money and give it to me, right? It's not about the money. It's about your word. Does that make sense? Well, a- absolutely. And, and here's the thing, Maru. I, I don't want to cut you short, but I, I want to jump in and say this and then let you finish here quickly. I've had the opportunity, nothing like the great Herb Simmons or 
you know, Larry Mattisek or, or some of these uh, incredible uh, people that we've had here in the, in the lower Midwest that have a reputation that goes back 40 years, I've had an opportunity to run a show or two. And something that, I, that was always important to me was to have the money ready in envelopes before the show even started. I know not everybody can afford to do that, but if you're putting on shows, if you're putting on shows, you need to be prepared to do that because the talent is risking their neck, guys like Maru are risking their neck, getting your shit over, whether there's seven people, 70, 700, or 7,000. So I, I, out of or respect five. to you guys' talent, I've never, I've never competed in the ring, Maru, but I will say that I have that much respect for what you guys do to know that no matter what happens and what the turnout looks like, right, it's my responsibility you to take care of the boys. Now, if the boys didn't do their job, yeah, that's right. If the boys didn't do their job to get the show over, they didn't post it in flyer and all that, I just won't bring them back. But when you make a commitment... Like there you, you go. Say, that's the right thing to do. You pay them, but don't bring them back. If they didn't share posts, yeah. if they didn't share the flyers, if they didn't do the work behind the scenes, let them wrestle and yep. don't book them again. That's the right thing to do. But if you look at my I social agree. media, I share everything. I share all kinds of things. So that wasn't me, Okay. Right. I know what you're saying, and let me tell tell you this. I have never run into not getting paid until someone who was considered the most professional up north, which was Ben McCoy and WPW, or who used to own Frontline Wrestling. You said you wanted heat. You said you wanted realness. Well, I'm going to bring that to you right now. Maru is bringing you that realness right now. I'm owed well, three shows worth of money. Well, and, I, and I was going to ask you because we do we do have a couple of amazing guests lined up here in a few minutes. So if possible, I can get can we have you wrap in about thirty about thirty seconds, bro. We want to let you finish respectfully because we appreciate the call. Respectfully, you said you wanted the heat. I'm bringing the heat, Ben McCoy. You owe me that money. You owe me. I did three shows for you, and you promised to pay me, and you did not pay me, and you're the only promoter in my decade years of wrestling that I have never got paid, and yet everyone up north seems to respect you, while behind the scenes I get messages, people thanking me for calling you out. I'm calling you out on your bullshit. Pay the people you're supposed to pay. Ladies and gentlemen, Maru, if, if you thought that was heat and intense, you've got to see this guy work in the ring. John, when he came on in last time, he had a little bit of a different outlook on life, let's call it that, out of respect for the business. But he had the same passion, the same energy. But I think this is, this is him speaking from the heart, not necessarily from a perspective as a worker. So we appreciate you, Maru, for choosing our platform to voice that. Uh, we'll, we'll take any heat that comes from you coming on here. We just provide an open platform. There are so few platforms in America these days, I can't believe I'm saying this, that actually allow you to speak openly, and you're not going to get canceled here, bro. As a matter of fact, if you want to call in every week and be a part of the show, we welcome you to do that because you took care of us early on in our, uh, in our lifetime of Wrestle Talk podcast and doing shows. You did our show. We didn't have anything to offer you, man. We were very, very small back then. And you remain loyal to us, so we remain loyal to you, Maru. Thank you so much. John, I know you're not entwined in that whole situation, but you got to appreciate when a guy calls in and speaks from the heart, right? Oh, definitely, yes. You've got to respect it. And 
you know, he said he was going to bring the heat and bring the fire, and I, I think he really did. And, you know, there was nothing fake about what he said, that's for sure. Well, dude, and, you know, we get around, like, the WrestleTalk podcast is not just a Kansas City show or a Virginia, West Virginia show. Like, we've interviewed, you know, we got Michael's Corner, guys from Minnesota coming on and doing stuff with us. Obviously, Chicago has been well represented on this show as well as Detroit. So, you know, we, we try to open up the doors to everybody who who, uh, who loves professional wrestling, no matter what they might have on their mind or what they want to get off their chest. So it's definitely much appreciated. Uh, John, I'm looking at the clock here. We're very, very close to our uh, featured guest of the evening. Uh, it's not many opportunities that we have to bring on a doctor, man. And I can't tell you how excited I am to speak to Mike, Dr. Mike Leno, DDS to be specific, because there are people who have done stuff in the business, and then there are people that have done stuff in the business. And you guys will understand a little bit more about what I'm talking about when he joins us here in just a matter of moments. But what I did want to hit on very, very quickly, John, and I'm looking at my notes here, is something that we've been doing on the show to try to highlight not just what's going on today in professional wrestling, but to try to remember the legends of the sport that are so often forgotten. So for those that are not aware, okay, um, we are doing Wrestle Madness. And Wrestle Madness is an opportunity for everybody that is part of the Wrestle Talk family to comment and to vote on who they think the best wrestler of the 80s was, okay? And I know we're going to get to our guests here in about a minute, minute and 30 seconds. But, John, could you give us a quick synopsis, and I'll help you through this as well, of what round one looked like and what round two is going to look like as far as matchups because, boy, we got a lot of great interaction, not just on the Facebook page and stuff. People were emailing us. I had people call me, send me text messages, a lot of private messages, people submitting their picks. And we've done a lot of tallying and a lot of hard work to make sure that we're counting everybody's vote. But, dude, round one is over. We're moving into round two with Wrestle Madness. We're trying to identify the best wrestler in the 80s can you go ahead and just quickly here in the next 30 seconds try to update everybody on where we are on it right now? Yeah, um, real quick on the uh, WWF bracket here for round one, you had the Honky Tonk Man versus Roddy Piper, and Roddy Piper took that one. Uh, Jake Roberts he versus Paul, Paul Orndorff. Uh, Jake Roberts took that one. Andre the Giant versus Bob Backlund, and Andre the Giant actually came out on top on that one. Pedro Morales versus Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan came out on top on that one. Ricky Steamboat versus Bob Orton. Ricky Steamboat came out. Greg Valentine versus Randy Savage, and Randy Savage took that one. The Junkyard Dog versus The Ultimate Warrior, and The Ultimate Warrior overtook Junkyard Dog. Tito Santana versus Ted DiBiase, and Ted DiBiase got that one. And then we had the other promotions bracket, uh, where you had Eddie Gilbert versus Shane Douglas. And Eddie Gilbert actually came out over top of Shane Douglas on that. Mill. Well, well, John, I'm going to stop you right there. I want to stop you right there. We'll jump. I'm going to let you and Joe jump back into this discussion in the second hour, okay? Because I just wanted to give everybody a taste of what we're doing with Wrestle Madness. And I believe you guys might even have time to discuss some of the round two matchups, not only in WWF, but also AWA. NWA, which is also WCW to us, and then we did a whole separate section with other promotions of the 80s, which included, like you said, Eddie Gilbert, 
Uh, I want to mention uh, the great Muda, Devon Eriks, Carrie, and Kevin, who are actually pitted against each other in round two. Antonio Noki, Bret Hart, and many, many more. Actually, Dick Murdoch even made it to round two. But I'll let you guys discuss that a little bit further in the second hour. Right now, though, and we may actually touch on some of these with our upcoming guests. And I did say guests. Hang on, guys. It's going to be a great surprise. John, please do the honor of introducing our first featured guest of this evening. All right. Be my pleasure here. He's been a longtime professional journalist. He's a professional doctor. He's the first doctor even before Dr. Britt Baker was even thought of. Uh, Since 1966, he's been a photographer, writer, columnist, for the Global Professional Wrestling Newsstand Magazine. He's been involved in countless professional wrestling endeavors, including and wrestling televised matches. He's managed the, the original Sheik and Sabu. And he's been in almost every role you can think of in professional wrestling. He is the one and the only Mike Lano. Dr. Mike since uh, the 60s, but uh, it's, the last name is Lano, L-A-N-O. But anyway, I'm also bringing my sidekick, my brother, Phantom Ed Gurria, who's one of the premier historians with me. And he was uh, our editor at Wrestling Eye Magazine. I shot and wrote for every glo- I mean, uh, around the planet, we say global, every newsstand wrestling magazine, Shukan Pro, Shukan Gong in Japan, Boxy Lucha, Super Astros in Mexico, the ones in Europe, which are now, uh, geez, Fighting Spirit turned into Russell Talk, and uh, uh, we have a brand new one that I'm going to be the featured columnist coming out of uh, Canada very shortly. We can't hardly talk about that. And I still work for what's left of Kappa Publishing, and that's Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the granddaddy uh, of magazines. But I wanted to shout out to my brothers because I spent a lot of time particularly in the 70s and 80s, shooting in St. Louis and Kansas City at the famous, well, Keel Auditorium was the, the palace. Uh, Wrestling at the Chase was the TV show Sam Munchnik did, who I knew very well and allowed me to shoot him in his office. Later it was Pat O'Connor, Larry Matisic, and uh, Herb Simmons has carried on that grand tradition with class and dignity of St. Louis athletic wrestling. I know you guys cover more uh, of that in the Midwest, but we were talking uh, I was talking to Les Thatcher, who's a total legend. He just survived COVID, as did Billy Anderson, two big names in wrestling. We were talking about Herb Simmons and what a fantastic guy he is. And, uh, you know, so I still have to cover everything today. I had to send in a mess of photos prior to the post-production of Young Rock, the NBC TV show, because it was actually at and knew Leah Maivia, his, uh, the grandmother. That was She was married to Peter Maivia, high chief Peter Maivia, and, of course, I shot and rode around with Rocky Johnson, uh, a lot of ribs and road stories. But uh, to talk about history, let me ask a Phantom Ed 
uh, his thoughts on St. Louis wrestling and Midwest wrestling because every territory yes, was. Ed, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Ed, welcome to the show. I'm here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. It's an honor. It's an honor. When I throw out some of these names, like now Bob Geigel and Harley Race promoted Central States Wrestling in Kansas City and parts of uh, uh, Missouri, and obviously Sam Munchnik was not only the promoter but president of the NWA. He was head of so many different sports organizations, legit sports, baseball, it's particularly baseball, St. Louis Cards, all those press clubs uh, for decades. And, um, Ed, uh, just maybe some thoughts on uh, St. Louis wrestling, because it was quite a bit different from, say, a blood and guts territory like Detroit or uh, or any of the great ones in uh, Tennessee. No, in uh, St. Louis, uh, Mushnick put the emphasis on working rather than gimmicks. Uh and there were no false finishes, uh, no uh, what what used to be called later on dusty finishes. Everything was neat and put into one package. And, and, Sam was, uh, and he was honest. Yeah. How many promoters? Uh, how many promoters were honest? I, I remember Dick the Bruiser told me that uh, uh, he had promised him. Uh, a piece of the, uh, you know, when he made the payoffs, he made the payoffs in the exact amount. He didn't withhold anything. Wow. But, but he had Wilbur That's Snyder. That's professionalism. Hey, we just uh, heard some. Pardon, pardon me, Dr. I, yeah, we heard some poor guy call into the show. Never, you want to get half your money up front. So this poor guy that worked and, and heard that old line about, uh, oh, I'll, I'll catch you on the next show. That's when you Double can smell the next show. Yeah, that's when you can smell yeah, some Yeah, that's deep. an old story. Well, uh, well doc, Dr. Mike, that's, that's, what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to ask you about because there's, there's so much we could cover. I really do hope this isn't like a one-time, maybe multiple visits to the show. There's so much stuff that I want to cover, not even just your wrestling career, but some of the stuff that you've done outside of it. I, I want to ask you specifically, and then, Ed, feel free to chime in. When you hear these younger guys um, – and that, that sentiment that they have and bitterness towards the business because of the way that they've been treated, what do you guys think has changed? Because from my perspective, I think it's just a loss of general values and integrity, which speaks to kind of the current state of where our country is right now. Uh, but a lot of people liken it to, to, to the introduction of the big money in professional wrestling and why we have so much entitlement these days, not only from talent, but also from promoters. Well, no, I, I've never ceased covering the indies, and it, the situation has improved. Maybe it's bad uh, where you guys are in the Midwest, but I'm in the Los Angeles area, and the Phantom is in uh, – he covers all over uh, Texas now, but he's a, a northeast uh, guy in the hotbed of you know New York, Philly, Boston, New Jersey, all those great uh, areas, Baltimore. Who, uh, right. We cover, we cover them as well. Um, I think it's far better, you know – I've covered a lot of, uh, you know, been around and, and hearing scammy promoters. There was a Cow Palace promotion. That was probably the worst ripoff I ever saw, where it wasn't just about 100 wrestlers. We're talking name wrestlers like Goldberg and Piper and Steve Austin and Greg Valentine and on and on. But MMA, mixed martial arts guys, too, the husband and wife, first-time promoters, promoting at this giant venue, they fled with the cash boxes and took off for this three-day convention with shows like Ring of Honor shows, et cetera. 
So you have so many fantastic, incredible promotions. I was sad to see Chikara go, but Ring of Honor, my friend who I've known 30 years, Court Bauer for MLW, which emanates out of Florida. Uh, they use a lot of TNA. It's called Impact Talent. I, I see so little of it now, but, yeah, 10, 12 years ago, almost up to about eight years ago, there were some shyster indie guys. It just depends on the area. And also you have, I still see it now, uh, well, say pre-COVID, where promoters in you know a, a little tiny town like where I used to be up in Northern California, these two guys, instead of working together, they'll tear down each other's posters, they'll refuse to use talent that's worked on the other guy's shows, particularly if it came out of one of their schools. I worry more about shyster schools um, but, you know, I mean, the ultimate goal is to get to a performance center for WWE for a lot of guys, or the bigger goal in terms of prestige is going to a dojo in Japan and not paying your way in Transanova, wow. in yes. but being asked to go is still the ultimate privilege to sign either that you, you have something or that you've already made it, uh, you know, a la the Jack Briscoe's, Billy Robinson's, Carl Gotch, Luthez's, all of the guys that, you know, toured a jillion times, or Stan Hansen. But, I, you know, right. I'm pleased to see a lot of these young guys are fantastic. I watched Kenny Omega come up, you know, from Canada and, and not being who he is today, you know, one of, arguably one of the greatest workers on the planet. But, I mean, geez, you, you, you know, you guys are doing some a quiz where you're looking at 80s wrestlers, but you got to include Ricky Choshu and Tetsumi, Dragon Fujinami, and guys from Japan, or uh, the original Tiger Mask. Uh, Ed, would you say, looking at the 80s or mid to late 80s, Tiger Mask was one of the more spectacular guys on the planet, and he did come into the U.S., particularly Madison Square Garden, where he worked with our brother Eddie Gilbert and uh, and, and the Jed and uh, some, some other guys. And the, the what they call the greatest match ever in terms of physical, you know, performing wrestling was uh, Satoru Sayami, the original Tiger Mask, and Dynamite Kid. Still to this day, people say that was the greatest match. And, Ed, I don't know, were you at that match? What were your thoughts on yeah. that, at the uh, Tiger Mask? Wow. Yeah, I saw Tiger Mask yeah, against Monsoon. I saw Tiger Mask versus Gorilla Monsoon in the garden. And I saw oh. Tiger Mask actually walk up. Gorilla Pub suit and then walked down. I couldn't believe he did that. <laughs> he had amazing moves and the crowd didn't. Die. The crowd popped. I've never seen anything like this guy. Um, oh, no. no, he was. And amazing. now he's copycats. That was amazing. He, he spawned Jushin Thunder Liger, Keiichi Yamada, who's a good friend of mine. And he, you know, obviously a legend in the U.S., beloved. He just retired. You know, thankfully his retirement was right, right. right before COVID hit. But so much history in the Midwest. I saw Is that, that match. Did you see, I got to see his retirement match? Big fan of his. But you have to kind of look at the stuff that he did with the dynam or the Dynamite Kid of that period, which would be late '80s, early '90s, in uh, Chris Benoit. And I know usually a lot of people don't talk about Chris Benoit, but here's a guy I room with at uh, the New Japan Hotel, Keo Plaza. When I was uh, I was with WCW Magazine, for example, that newsstand magazine in the 90s for its whole run. Yeah. And for the uh, March 21st, 1991, the very first NWA versus New Japan Tokyo Egg Dome show, topped by the Flair Fujinami, where Flair dropped it clean, despite what WCW tried to portray on TV. Flair dropped, it was a title versus title, NWA 
versus IWGP New Japan title. And then I shot the, the rematch uh, in Tampa that WCW had. But, you know, it was cheesy booking. That's another problem. Right. Uh, you talk about today's problems. And, and today's young kids, um, I never criticize AEW because, uh, you know, I can't wait for Wednesday to come for AEW and NXT. They're the two best shows of the week. We have to sit through a lot of garbage sometimes on Mondays and Fridays. Um, impact is more exciting because of the tie-in with AEW. But, you know, listening to guys, and I'm a real student of wrestling radio. I've written pieces on it. Wrestling radio started in the early 70s with friends of ours. Bill Apter was one of the first shows, and uh, Bill Kunkel. Yeah, Bill Pod- joined us on the show. We love Bill. Well, Podshot Kunkel and uh, Arnie Katz had another fantastic show. Uh, John Arezzi the same time. early contributor. And then John Arissi and I used to co-host uh, Alan Kaminsky's show in the New York area with the seven-state reach starting around 74, 75. But um, uh, so uh, Bully Ray on Busted Open, that's the Sirius XM big show, the radio show. It's on six days right. a week. And he has criticized AEW at times for a lack of psychology. And that's kind of the problem. The high spots are great. You can string the high spots along. But – like a Satoru Sayama uh, tiger mask, you kind of want psychology in there, and you want to tell the story, and it seems to be more apparent with NXT, but I love them both. I would never criticize uh, AEW because you have such a swath of talent that a lot of us have been aware of, but not the American public, uh, like a Nyla Rose or any of those outstanding, amazing uh, workers. And Man, it's it, it, it gets hard. I think most people now just tape one. You can't – I usually have two TVs going at right. once, but that's just too difficult. You, you really want to sit back and ingest one at a time. Uh, and your AEW and then maybe watch the next one the next day because four hours of wrestling is a little bit hard. But the problem, too, is you have MLW on Wednesdays. Now Billy Corgan, my friend <laughs> of Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Tuesday nights is back with NWA, and and people don't know, but if you search your local Mexican Hispanic channels, and I speak Spanish, I had to learn yeah. how to speak Spanish, Spanish and Japanese to take yeah. photos. Yes. But there is CMLL action. There's even three-year-old on the some markets, even in the Midwest, have the Azteca Mexican channel, and they have Lucha Azteca. So they're showing current stuff, and on another they day do. they show like three-year-old matches uh, with guys like Teton. And, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Red Dragon and uh, uh, Volador Jr. and uh, the second Mystico and the first Mystico. Who's now yep. Yeah, Shocker. Uh, Alberto Del Rio's father and his family, all those. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, Mike, if you don't, Dr. Mike, I, I do want to jump in here with something specific uh, for, um, for Ed Gurea, who I'm honored to have you on the show as well, my friend. So I was watching this documentary on ESPN Plus, and it was it was called When the Garden Was Eden. And I'm fascinated by all things New York. I grew up in South Florida as a Mexican kid. It was very strange because it was mostly Cubans, Italians, and black people down in the 80s and 90s in South Florida. Now it's, it's even more mixed than it was back then. But I remember um, being a huge fan of the Heat and the Knicks and just being enthralled by everything New York. So I saw this documentary, and it was about – the Knicks in uh, in the 70s, right? It was called When the Garden Was Eden. That's when the Knicks were in their heyday. You got to see pro wrestling in its heyday during that era as well. Is there anything specifically 
uh, that sticks out in your mind is like that one moment while I got to see this at the garden or, you know, I was at the garden for this or whatever. Maybe it was even another venue. But I know things were really, really special during that era, and I don't think it gets enough attention. Um, of course, everyone immediately thinks no, WWE or WWWF, but I'm just curious, is there anything specific in your mind that sticks out that you want to share? What sticks out in my mind, and I, I remember going to it, was to see a Martino Koloff match where Bruno dropped the belt after holding it seven years. And I knew there was going to be a title change that night. Uh, I knew it in my bones because of the way they built up Koloff. He had a different style of training. He had a different manager. Uh, but when Koloff beat Bruno, and he beat him with a knee drop off the top rope, pinned him, Right in the middle, you could have dropped a pin. It was that quiet. People, I heard people crying. That's how big Bruno was. And it was an amazing, amazing match. Well, well, think about how how genius that is, though. Like, you, you, you have Bruno lose the championship in a stadium full of Italians. Like, like you already know, you know. It's Not like, just it's Italian, like a, but Puerto uh, Ricans. No, there were a lot of there was right. a lot well, there yeah, was of course. Kinds of different mixtures of people there. I shot Madison Square a lot, and that was the greatest response I ever got. Deafening, far more than Hogan or any clowns that came after, was for Bruno. No pyro, wow. no girl, no ring jacket, just yeah. Bruno with or without a belt. But. There was a ton of Puerto Rican people, and when Bruno asked Vince Sr. for some time off, they put the strap on his friend who he called Pete. That was Pedro Morales. Uh, and right. uh, this, there was a lot of Puerto Rican, a lot of Hispanic, a lot of Jewish fans. They had all these ethnicities, and they didn't mind <clears throat> playing to them. And Bruno, of course, had that cadre of uh, Italian fans. But Ed probably went to Shea Stadium for the first of three Shea Stadiums, but the biggest was Bruno versus Pedro, face-face. That what I went to. I wouldn't miss that for the world. Because we were all wondering who was going to turn heel, and no one did. Well, well, you guys would never believe, if you guys were watching the video uh, that we have going right now on the Facebook Live, I hope you'll get a chance to go back. I've actually got a little action figure from uh, 1984. It's a Titan Sports action figure. And you'll never guess who it is. It's so funny that we ended up on this. Uh, it, it's a it's an action figure of the Russian bear, which these action figures actually worth something. It's like, like these new ones that they sell at Walmart. It's all trash. Uh, this is I, I've always kept this with me because of the historic value and as a reminder that wrestling didn't start in the Attitude Era. <laughs> like a lot of people in in my generation, uh, I was born in the 80s, seem to think that wrestling started in the 90s, and it absolutely did not. And it's so cool no, no, no. to hear you, know you when guys. It started? You guys know when it started. It started in the 1880s in Paris, France. That was, like, Ed can probably correct me, but that was the first uh, predetermined, choreographed, whatever you want to call it, uh, with known finish, 1880s. And the glory yeah, days, was, uh, the territory days. That's incredible. The territory days. There was a wrestler known as a mass wrestler of Paris who packed them in. I have a question for you guys. Is, is the circus thing that everybody talks about is that is that true? Did pro wrestling that's originate from? Is that is that correct? Right, that's correct. It originated in the what they call the AT tents on the mid carnival midway, 
where you could go in and challenge a wrestler and maybe win some money. Stay uh, five minutes with uh, Crunchy Granola here, and you too, you'll win five bucks, which was big money back then. And, of course, uh, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you, Ed. Uh, they, of course, go, called, ahead. go ahead. These carny shows were called at shows, A-T. Ed, do you know, what did that stand right. for? What did Because we all know what mark meant, you know, like a chalk mark on Ath- your athletic, back. Athletic tent. Right. Athletic tent. There you go. And well, a lot of that well, mostly gosh. picked up a lot of the language of the carny. And that's where and his, the carny language, Kizarni, came from. You know, Red Bastine was one of several. Sputnik Monroe, I think, also had done those at shows. Uh, so they came from Carney Roots and then became, you know, globally famous, world-famous class wrestlers, particularly Bastine, high-flying Red Bastine. Bastine was one of the great underrated performers. Fantastic Ted Carter, a fantastic wrestler on his own. He was and, the yeah, guy he who- came from the Carney. He was the guy who started, really, or made Roddy Piper famous. Roddy Piper was being sent by Red Bastine, who was booking and wrestling in the Houston office of the great Paul Bosch, another legend along the lines. You know, we talk about Sam Munchnik and Tunney, the original Tunney in Toronto, and Gus Karras, who is a real sweetheart in the Kansas area, if Diane Devine is listening. Um, but Bastine had recommended Piper to go to, uh, you know, nobody had ever heard of him. He'd done a few things with, like, Larry Hennig, Kurt's father in Winnipeg. Piper was being sent by Red Bastine to San Francisco from Houston. But he made a trip to L.A., and our booker was best friends with Bastine at that time. He just came in. Leo Garibaldi, who was uh, part of a father and son wrestling team earlier, and he uh, saw Roddy, who debuted for us, uh, this, that was January, 17th, 1976 at our 22-man Battle Royal show in L.A. I was the ringside photographer for both the Los Angeles Territory, Mike LaBelle promoter, and San Francisco Roy Shire. Anyway, Piper came in. He had a Broadway match with Tony Rocco, undistinguishable face, but when Leo Garibaldi got a hold of him, he crafted the whole thing. He had Piper starting to play the bagpipes and start the, having the sayings referring to what was going on in pop culture on his T-shirt became one of the greatest heels of all time. And then he was working and main eventing in two territories at once, San Francisco and L.A., which was unheard of. And then he would go in and do shots in, in Houston and Dallas. Uh, but uh, Important. Yeah, pretty, amazing, pretty amazing stuff. And I, forget about the attitude era. The territories were where it was at. You had 38, at least 38 in northern uh, North America. You had Japan, and at that time in the 70s, you had the IWE, which was AWA related. You had New Japan, All Japan, which was primarily uh, that was Baba's Giant Baba's related to the NWA. Uh, you had wrestling right. going on in England and Austria, ca- catch wrestling, Otto Vons' promotion later on, South Africa, uh, India, and. Uh, and Wilkins' promotion in South Africa. Australia, the incredible. Uh, well, I don't call it, like calling it Jim Barnett's, but Mark Lewin. They had all of the insane Detroit heels there. The Sheik, Abdullah the Butcher, Lonnie Moondog Maine, Crazy Luke Graham, uh, Killer Kowalski. And, um, well, uh, Dick Brower, Waldorf on Dick Brower, exactly. Bulldog Brower. Yeah, those were the days. And then there were territory days in Detroit, Montreal, in Atlanta, when Ray Gunkel's widow Ann took on the entire NWA. And then Eddie Einhorn, who co-owned the Chicago White Sox, 
got talked into forming this group that took on both the NWA and Vince McMahon Sr.'s Tri-WF. It was called the IWA starting in 75, and they had Neil Moskers as champ. Tons of wrestlers all over the place. Ernie Ladd, who was a legend in uh, St. Louis. In fact, I, Herb uh, Simmons knows I had a 19, was 1991 uh, Sam Muchnick three-day convention. It was for the boys. And all of these wrestlers, I had Luthes as my MC, but they all trans themselves in. Unlike most conventions, I didn't have to spring for a dime. It wasn't because of me, but it was because of their love and respect for Sam Munchdick. Ernie Ladd was one of my MCs. Keller Kowalski came and gave a daytime seminar on racism and wrestling and how he used to have to sneak Bearcat Wright and Bobo Brazil into his hotel room because even though those guys main evented at the nearby arena, the hotels and restaurants wouldn't allow them in. So, uh, you know, everybody was there. Stan Hansen, we did a, uh, a tribute to Bruiser Brody and his widow. Barbara was there, and Stan Hansen and Jimmy Snook, his two main Japan tag partners and best friends, were there to help uh, give some funds for Bruiser Brody's son, Jeffrey. We had a college fund going for him. So, anyway, everything worldwide would then come on down to uh, Kansas City and, and St. Louis in particular, and, and those were great areas. Illinois. The Chicago Amphitheater, one of the most fantastic. If I had the urge to go, and not just photograph ringside, but to go watch some riots going on, I'd go to the Chicago Amphitheater. <laughs> they, they had riots. I mean, it, it didn't matter. I believe you. Bruiser and Crusher against the Vashon brothers, Butcher and Mad Dog, or against uh, uh, Stevens and Bockwinkle, the, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, and they worked in St. Louis. And Florida and other places when they weren't, you know, primarily in the well, AWS. Well, Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike, forgive me for interrupting, but I have to take an opportunity to do something that I think, and it's hard to believe, I think it may actually make tonight a little bit more special. And then also, I do have a co-host who's actually out in the uh, Virginia, West Virginia area who wants to come on and ask you guys a couple of questions. But right now, we're actually going to go to the, we're actually going to go to the phone lines to somebody who you've referenced. Several times during our conversation, I believe both of you guys have. So, uh, John, uh, if you could do me a favor and go ahead and bring this gentleman on. And for the sake of surprise, let's go ahead and have him introduce himself for once, because, you know, we always throw him his flowers. Why don't you go ahead and bring him on and have him say hello? I, I can't wait to see and hear these guys' reactions. Okay, caller, we have you on the on the phone help live here. So, uh why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to Dr. Mike? Well, I got uh, one question for uh, um, Renee. You've had a lot of guests on your program, as we all know, but I'm telling you, with Mike and Ed on air tonight, this is the top of the mountain, I can tell you. Dr. Mike Herb Simmons. Well, Ed, uh, I, 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 Herb, no, I had a feeling I do. And maybe Jeff Manning, a promoter buddy of mine who's in the uh, Washington, Oregon uh, state area, might also. I know he's listening, but I don't know if he might be calling. But Herb is the cream of the crop, the dignity, and that is befitting of the area that he, he represents and has promoted and has done about a million things and is known worldwide. And, uh, you know, he always, we all see him strong. at the rally. I just want to come yeah. and see Herb Simmons' show. And, um, you know, and maybe reminisce. I, I know he was there when we honored Larry Matisic with his widow present. And um, uh, it's just, uh, 
I just loved that town because it was the only other territory that was similar to St. Louis for pure athletic wrestling, not having brawls outside the ring, and really these guys had to show their mad and chain wrestling. And that's why you had everybody from Billy Robinson to Bill Miller, says a perennial, you know, all of these greats. Jack Briscoe was out of this world, five stars. Uh, but Eddie Graham's territory in Florida for a time, at least in the 70s, was athletic, but nobody could touch St. Louis, and that's what Herb keeps that tradition alive. Well, Mike, I, 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 I appreciate that, and just to sit here and listen to you and Ed uh, mention the names that you had, uh, I mean, what a, a, a history lesson. And, Renee, you and your co-host uh, and all of your listeners tonight are getting a uh, education that uh, most people would be charging for because uh, Dr. Mike, uh, when he says he's walk to walk and talk to talk, uh, he's he's done it. And I'll never forget the uh, tribute that you did uh, for Larry. And uh, uh, Larry always spoke highly of you, uh, uh, Doctor, as you know. Uh, you guys shared the, the passion of uh, Sam Muchnick. I'm sitting here looking at uh, wall-sized pictures of Sam, Larry, and Bruiser Brody, who were the three men that uh, got me – this is uh, la- this last month, 47 years in February of doing what I've been doing. Uh, and those three men introduced me to so many guys like Dr. Mike and Bill Apter and, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the workers, the Dick Murdochs, the Crusher Blackwells, uh, the Bruiser. Uh, um, and, and that's why we're trying to keep it – that's what makes it so interesting when you get a guy like uh, Dr. Mike to come on and talk about the history that he has had to do with it. Uh, I'm telling you, Dr. You, uh, you just uh, blew, uh, blew the ratings off the chart. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah. guys had the that are battered in your territory here that had the most athletic ability without having to do anything. They didn't have to talk over matches. They, they had, psychology down they didn't have to go and train which was why nick bachman was so jealous of dick murdoch and ray stevens uh but i also want to throw herb and i don't know if ed would agree too but i uh, you know we talk about andre and i'm working hard on the the next series of dark side of the ring the third season of that but greatest big man wrestler of all time i say don leo jonathan i would agree without a doubt i would agree six foot seven and could do a flying head scissors and, and, you know, uh, Doctor, one of the arguments that I used to get into with the fans in St. Louis was, is, and I, I, over the years I just quit arguing with them because they'd say, oh, I used to go to wrestling at the chase and watch Andre the Giant. Well, Andre never did wrestle at the chase because uh, he was too big. You know, it was a studio uh, setting. Uh, you know, he was at Kiel Auditorium and at the arena. But So over the years I just said, hey, it's their story. They can tell it the way they want to. Um, or if they was working an angle to bring Andre in at the keel, or they would show clips from uh, around the country. But uh, Andre never a- actually wrestled. But, you know, some of the guys you mentioned, you know, Fritz Von Erich, Killer Kowalski, uh, and then the other list, you know, John Paul Henning, Red Bastine, uh, Edouard Carpentier, the Flying Frenchman. Uh, St. Louis was, uh, was home to those guys. And, you know, the story has always been you always knew you made it to the top when you worked in St. Louis, and, and that's because of Sam. I, 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 you know, Sam was known as the uh, the most honest payoff guy, him, and guys like Paul Bosch, you know. If, uh, if they told you you earned uh, $300.18 in your envelope, the $0.18 cents was in there also. 
That's right. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was going to say the one, of the styles clash, one of the weirdest Styles Clash matches I ever shot that was on par with Billy Robinson, Fred Blassie, was at Keel, and it was, um, well, there was one, Jack Briscoe and Bo Brazil, but another one, Jack Briscoe and Ed Carpentier. Oh, yes. Uh, worked for us, but it was one of the weirdest. It was just a, a Styles Clash. It was still excellent, but um, it, it was different. And another weird Styles Clash was at Atlanta for a Christmas show in 74 at the Atlanta City Auditorium. Fred Blassie and Bill Watts. Fred refused to not only sell for Watts, but he also refused to take any bumps. Well, you know, Mike, I, I told you before, I've got all the uh, footage from all those matches at wrestling at the chase that uh, Sam and Larry left with me, and and now I've just acquired uh, the TV uh, tapings of Dick DeBruiser stuff from his wife, uh, Louise Aflis. So uh, one day when you get down this way, uh, we'll have to sit down and uh, reminisce on some of them uh, old matches, uh, the one from 1962 with uh, Pat O'Connor and Lorenzo Parenti or Johnny Valentine and uh, Killer Kowalski. Let me stop bond? you guys right there. I, I do, I do want to jump in and say this. This is the reason people keep asking me, and I keep telling them, I said this, I've been asking Herb Simmons for five years to adopt me. He still has not agreed. But just to have access to that library <laughs> as a young wrestling fan, a young 36, I, I, I want to see and hear as much of this stuff as I possibly can. But, you know, Herb, you, I know you called in to give Ed and Dr. Mike their flowers, but I'm going to give them an opportunity to give you your flowers. They were on the phone earlier when we, uh, we had a random caller from, um, from Minnesota who was a wrestler who had been wronged by a promoter who had been paid in three shows. It, that, there's a sharp contrast between promoters that get that reputation and then guys that have a re- reputation like you, uh, uh, her, uh, like you have. So I want to give Ed and Dr. Mike the opportunity to speak on why they think that you're so different from guys like that and and your longevity, because they're historians of the sport, and you're a guy that's going to be in the analogs of history as one of the greatest promoters, not in the Midwest, not in the U.S., in my opinion, of all time. Just based off longevity alone, let alone the people that you've had an opportunity to work with. Uh, Ed, I don't know if you want to go first here. What do you think sets a guy like Herb Simmons apart? Yeah, what's what's that the part of that elite class that we've ever seen? He's an anomaly. He's an anomaly in the world of promoters because he's honest. And that's something you don't run into with promoters. Promoters will sit there and tell you, yeah, kid, you were good, but, uh, uh, you know, you really weren't worth the money. You know, we wanted to pay you. So maybe next time. But Herb never did that. You know, if you come in for 300, you're getting 300. Now, there's no shenanigans. Uh, Toots Bont, when he promoted, he would uh, chisel the guys out of as much money as he could. He just—he uh, has to do fines. Well, he didn't work hard enough, so he doesn't get his money. I'll take, I'll take care of that. <laughs> and they're all like that. You know, that's why promoters are so hated. But Herb, he was he's a gentleman. How many promoters promoters are gentlemen? But let me let me take a minute to give the great wrestling story that everybody who uh, spent any time in business knows. The wouldn't you know who won the pony? There was a guy promoter Bill Lewis in Richmond area, and cards were going down. So what he did was he had a horse farm, and he put up a pony, 
as a prize that you know you double your wrestling ticket would be your your raffle ticket. <laughs> Comes the night of the drawing. Bill sticks his hand in the bowl. He's got a packed house, ten thousand people. Pulls out the cards as well. What do you know who won the pony? My son Blue. My son Blue won the pony. Oh, and that kills the whole town. <laughs> that became one of the oh great stories of wrestling. That's real yeah. heat. <laughs> it killed the town. Oh man! It really, it took it, it took months to rebuild. But that's a classic wow. story. I, I heard Jim Cornette talking about it the other night. Uh, what do you know who won the pony? <laughs> That's how low promoters can go. Uh, Dr. Mike? Well, I'll just say about Thank Herb, the word, yeah, the word trust is everybody trusts them, and you don't have to worry at all. But I'll leave you, too, with I know we're getting long in the tooth on the show for our time, is uh, Terry Funk, the only here Terry Funk who I keep in touch with, and you know he's not the same Terry Funk. His wife passed. Vicky his rock, but uh, if you hopefully see him and ask him about this, about being in the dressing room with the Sheik, and he's hitting up the Sheik. You know, he just had an incredible main event with the Sheik, double blood, double juice, and he's asking to get paid. You know, it's time for that the pay envelope, and in comes Sheik's wrestling son, the captain Ed Don George, even though it was uh, Ed Farhat Jr. And he runs in, he goes. Dad, Dad, they stole the cash box again. <laughs> yeah, Here's Terry Funk to tell that story. There <laughs> <laughs> went the payday. <laughs> oh, so it even happened in the, the great days. There was another magical territory, Detroit at Kobo, when they had that war with Dick the Bruiser, who came in from Indianapolis with the WWA promotion to try to take on Sheik in Detroit for about two and a half, three years. And everybody in the planet seemingly was either at Bruiser's show at Olympia Stadium or air-conditioned Kobo, which was a much nicer state-of-the-art arena for the Sheik. I mean, like, second from the bottom, Buddy Rogers and Danny Hodge, you know, in like a dream match, Blassie and Neil Moscaris, all underneath, you know, obviously the top guys, Sheik, Vampiro, the Butcher, and uh, Tiger Jeet Singh Sr., who actually could wrestle unlike his son. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson, all these great names. And then Bruiser, Bruiser, those shows, he'd have Bruno come in in his off period when he was taking a break from holding the title two times. Bruiser and uh, Bruno San Martino, the dream team, taking on Ernie Ladd and Von Raschke or the Valiant Brothers. And oh, God, you could see uh, everybody in the planet that was anybody. You know, that's when territory wars were great. We had one in Los Angeles, too. Vern Gagne trying to take over LA from Mike LaBelle and Jules Strongbow, and you would see these territory wars or Montreal, or I mentioned earlier Atlanta. Uh, the, the talent from all over the world would come in. They were either on one show or, or the other, and hopefully the two shows weren't running the same night. You know, at least for ours, uh, Mike LaBelle ran the Olympic Auditorium in L.A. Fridays, and then Vern Gagne was running the Fabulous Forum Saturdays where the Lakers and the Kings played. And Vern Gagne's partner, and they lost after three shows. They gave up was Jack Kent Cook, who owned the Forum, the venue. He owned the L.A. Lakers at the time before Jerry Buss, and he owned the L.A. Kings. You know, the hockey even he could not defeat the established promotion. So I guess that's the, the lesson there. But for promoters, Money isn't everything. Just, just Money is honest. not everything. You're right about that, Dr. Mike. 
Well, uh, I mean, uh, I want to do this. Invading a territory. I hate to jump. I hate to jump in front of everybody here. John, I get. I promise you guys, this is not just a. uh, It's not a rib. I actually do have a co-host, and since we are running so low on time, John, I know you've been waiting. These stories have been incredible. I've been. I hate myself for interrupting. Um, but I got to give you a chance to jump in here and at least say something to these guys. This, this to me is comparable to the night where we had uh, Tully Blanchard and Paul Orndorff on the show the same night at the same time. Like that's what tonight feels like to me. And like I said, right in the very beginning, Ed, I know you heard me as well, Mike, uh, Dr. Mike, I know you can confirm this should be part one of many because we haven't even scratched the surface, but John, please jump on in here with any thoughts or questions that you have for any of these three legends of the sport. Well, I tell you, it's, it's just been an honor to be able to listen to the stories that these guys have told. And, you know, it, it's, it's just something to hear all the stories. And uh, actually I was going to ask about uh, a Sheik story, but then he, he was just talking about some. So I guess he covered <laughs> that one. So <laughs> my, uh, my only other question was, you know, that you, you have done a lot of different things around the wrestling world, Dr. Mike. And, you know, what roles have you played that's been your absolute favorite role out of all of them? Well, my least favorite was jobbing for my home-based territory. (laughs) Jobbing was the least favorite. So I knew my bread and butter was writing for the magazines and and shooting. So that I did enjoy when I did promote that Sam Munchnik tribute weekend for the boys and having Pat O'Connor's surviving family, Bobby Shane's surviving family, uh, obviously Sam and his family, and then all these uh, other folks. And as I was telling Ed tonight about it, uh, all the local promotions in Illinois, Kansas, and uh, Missouri threw a wrestling marathon for nearly, not quite, but it was almost three days nonstop, 24 hours a day. They would take breaks every now and then. But you had a, that was the very first place where Al Snow and the future Kane ever teamed up before Smoky Mountain, where they were tag champions. And Sabu wrestled on the card, and uh, you know a, a lot of guys were there. Uh, you know, brothers and, and people I miss, like Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, who he when I ran my fan club, actually one of the greatest pleasures was uh, co-running the last incarnation of the Fred Blassie fan club in the 70s. And then I ran the Tolis Brothers fan club at the same time. But doing our newsletters, which was the earliest, it was a way to express ourselves. And I wrote about international stuff. I barely ever wrote about the guys who, whose fan club I was running in the 60s and 70s, the Tolis Brothers. But uh, Jim Cornette and Eddie Gilbert were the first two people to pay to join my little fan club because they later also became fantastic ringside photographers, you know, before their wrestling careers took off and uh, i wish we had eddie gilbert you know the friendships too particularly eddie gilbert and mick foley and sabu and oh ula and johnny may young um gene kaniski having gene kaniski call every saturday morning and then bruno sammartino sunday afternoons both wanting to hear how badly vince jr was doing with tv ratings and buy rates for pay-per-views <laughs> so we haven't scratched the surface of uh, ribs i Never completed, but I have all of the ribs that I had Johnny Valentine record on tape that he and Buddy Rogers pulled on promoters, promoters' wives, and um, <laughs> I don't know. this 
is a clean show. So it, so, it sounds like you and uh, it sounds like you and Herb could do uh, Herb could do some old fashioned tape trading like we used to when we were kids. <laughs> with all the stuff you guys I have, wanna man. See, I want to see that, if Herb has uh, the, the Dory Jr. Killer Kowalski match from Kiel, and then either Briscoe against Carpentier or Briscoe Bobo Brazil, even without audio, if he's got handheld uh, of those matches that were just so much fun, or even Rocky Johnson getting his NWA shot against Harley Race at the Kiel. Oh, yeah, great, great times, and... Uh, you know, uh, Roger Dean, remember Roger, who uh, just passed away, uh, used to sit there and record a lot of them with his little 35-millimeter uh, uh, film. And uh, I've got all of those that that, uh, that he had uh, uh, swapped me years and years ago. I remember driving to Springfield, Illinois, and meeting him at the uh, lobby of the hotel and, and got shopping bags full of them. And uh, uh, great... Uh, great memories and uh i don't know what i'm gonna do with them when i die i tell my wife that my kids probably will just uh, have a big bonfire or something but uh no 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 uh, send them to the uh the no, no 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 we're not Iowa gonna let that happen Herb Simmons. we're not gonna let that happen Iowa, that, that way everybody can enjoy it the the pro wrestling the real hall of fame in iowa that mike yes. chapman started yes the hall of yeah. fame uh, slash museum but um <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, doctor, I'm I'm working on a, another, you know, Larry wrote the book, uh, you know, The Wrestling at the Chase, and I was asked by a gentleman here in St. Louis, uh, another writer, uh, Ed Wheatley, I'm working with him on a uh, coffee table book of uh, wrestling at the chase, dating back to the, the whole era of the Tom Pax and uh, everywhere, how it got started, uh, so it's going to be quite interesting, and uh, it's going to be going to print uh, here in a few months, and I think... Uh, going to have about uh, 200 pages of photos and uh, uh, in fact that's why I asked you the other night if you had a picture of Tom Pax so that's probably the only one I'm missing right now but oh, uh, it's going to be a, it's okay. going to be an interesting book and then they're actually uh, they've already got commitment um, to do a film about wrestling at the chase and uh, it will be housed back uh, inside the Corsand room at the Chase Park Plaza Hotel. I got a lot of those. You remember Harry White who passed away. I didn't know uh, Roger Deem, who like used to run uh, Eddie and Tommy Gilbert's fan club, and then he became a ringside photographer. He, he yep. just passed? Roger Deem passed? Yeah, he passed away about two months ago. Because I was getting emails from him up until about Christmas, and then we were talking about COVID and all of that stuff. But that's very sad to, to hear, because I yes. think he was, the biggest, he was the biggest Eddie Gilbert mark on the planet. And oh, yeah. He, lo- he loved him some Eddie Gilbert, yeah. And uh, but uh, uh, Harry White, uh, Mr. St. Louis, you know, I think he just did some timekeeping for Indies. But he was a, he, another historian. Went back he was to the- he was our he was our uh, make believe commissioner uh, for the uh, uh, wrestling for years. Uh, great guy, of course. He's been gone for several years now. But, uh, but yeah, Harry. But Harry uh, got a hold from he, he got Julie O'Connor, Pat's widow, in a weak moment to give him. All of the, the ticket stubs, obviously the belts, the central states, and, and the Missouri state title. Uh, and it's sad because, uh, Harry, I took a zillion pictures of the Missouri state title, and then like he auctioned it online, and some guy in Japan bought it. So I don't know if it came back to the no. U.S. I kept urging oh. and begging, do not sell the belt. You don't have any rights to sell it. Donate it to the museum. He also has, when I have some of them, he gave me, these were checks from the St. Louis wrestling office that Muchnick made out. You know, on the back you'd have a Johnny Valentine, 
uh, Flair, Harley, Kaniski, you know, did their signatures on the back, you know, so they could cash the checks. And, and Sam kept all of them. So they're like little mementos, classic mementos. So, uh, Herb, I'll have to pull over that. Uh, maybe I'm hopefully I can get at least one photo in your book because that, yeah, that's yeah the last the last thing that that I, I'll tell you is that you know uh, the, all the cards that took place at wrestling at the Chase uh, or at the Keel Auditorium or the, the ones they did a couple times a year at the St. Louis Arena they would take and use the typewriter and they would type each of the matches um, you know uh, Dick the Bruiser against so and so. Uh, 15 minute time limit uh, and these were all done on the 3 by 5 index cards and so if uh, every card that Dick the Bruiser was on at Wrestling at the Chase or at the Keel, I've got them uh, in alphabetical order in these metal file boxes that Sam left for me and uh, it's kind of ironic because it would say that he won with the atomic uh, knee drop or Luthez would win with a, a flying uh, press and so a lot of things that we do in our finishes that during our shows now that people just think is the greatest thing since Skippy Peanut Butter, uh, it's just history repeating itself. You know, the angles that they shot back in the day. The one that uh, comes to my mind was Cowboy Bob Ellis and Buddy Rogers when uh, Rogers claimed that nobody could break the figure four. Well, we did that about two years ago, and I got a six-month run out of that. And uh, people are saying, oh, my gosh, we never seen anything like that. And I had uh, Axel uh, Jim Duggan in that night on one of the sh- that show. And as I was taking him back to the hotel room, he said, Herb, all you're doing is repeating history. <laughs> so uh, it, it's great when you can bring uh, smiles to the faces of the fans like that. And, and they learn. Let, me, let me jump in and say this. And forgive me, guys. And, and you know what? I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing when history repeats itself if the history is worth repeating. Um, everyone's going to hate me for this. I feel like I'm going to get booed out of the room. But we do have to bring this this visit to a wrap. And for those of you guys that are just tuning in or maybe you've been living under a rock, in one phone call, we've had an opportunity to talk with three not only history makers in the world of professional wrestling, not only historians in the world of professional wrestling, but guys that will go down to history as three of the greatest lovers of professional wrestling, you got to love it if you've been doing it for 47 years, 37 years, 27 years, or seven years. So, Ed Gurea from the Northeast, we love you, brother. I know you're in Texas now. I'd love to have you back on as an individual. Herb, it goes without saying, you know, our relationship. Say that again? I'd love to be on. And talk yes. wrestling. Okay. Great. I'm writing hey, that. Hey, Renee, I, I'm writing hey, that Renee, down. I, I'm holding you. Renee, I just want to say, I, I didn't mean to uh, to get in here. And I just wanted to uh, uh, say hi to Mike and Ed and thank you guys. And I appreciate you letting me stay on. But, you know, this is really about those two legends. Those guys have done yes. more and know more about the business than I'll ever know. And, Mike, uh, you know uh, our <laughs> friendship goes way, way back. And I'm looking forward looking forward to seeing you in Vegas uh, uh, this year for the Cauliflower Alley. Hopefully uh, it'll be safe. It I better hope. be safe. Yeah, that's right. I'm supposed, to get an, I'm supposed to get an award this year, they tell me, so I hope it's safe. <laughs> so I'll, I'm going to be there, Herb. I'm going to my first one. Hey, by the way, just so you guys know, this is the effect that you have on the pro wrestling community. And, Herb, please don't ever apologize for coming on this show. 
If if you could have if we could have you on every week, we would. You know that. I'm going to my first show this year. God willing, uh, my co-host uh, Nightmare Jones is going to his very first show this year, and it's all thanks to guys like you. And, and as I've given everybody else their flowers, Dr. Mike, what can I say? I know we've said it over and over, scratching the surface, you are a wealth of knowledge and really a gem to have for us as a, as a resource into professional wrestling, not only because you've competed, but because you've worn so many hats in this sport that I think very few people have had the opportunity to do. So, gentlemen, thank you so, so much for your time tonight. Uh, it, it truly has been an honor and a pleasure. John, did you have any final thoughts or thank yous for these three uh, incredible men? Just just thank you to all three of you guys. I tell you, uh, like I said earlier, the story, stories are just incredible. And that that's one thing I love about doing this is hearing all the stories and, you know, just learning all the – all the history and it's just completely awesome. And I'm just in awe of having three icons like you guys on, you know, and, and getting the chance to chat with you. And like I said, we haven't even scratched the surface and look forward to having you guys back some other time and just getting to hear more of the stories. And you guys are just, just completely awesome. And we thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Let me quote Antonio Inoki. That's Japanese. Everybody stay and, safe. And, and can you trick? Thank you, and everybody stay That's safe. Right. <laughs> and, and, That's right. Hey, and allow me to make a bold Go ahead, Ed. Thank you, Herb. Allow me to make a bold statement as we go to break, ladies and gentlemen. The Wrestle Talk Podcast, episode 335, keep, keeping the precious history of professional wrestling history alive and well ladies and gentlemen we'll be back in a few moments for our number two of the wrestle talk podcast episode 335 Orange and park with a chicken no breakfast if you ain't a hustler you might not get this eyes wide open even though we sleeping Get up in your face, you know, creeping, but you gotta be from my town just to know that all, all right, brand folks, new, no need for a throwback, that oh, way you're from, but don't be dumb, didn't even know it, but they right said that I won, I will keep right grinding, no rewinding, I will ace like it's one big assignment, young Max Saga, hotter than lava, never tripping on them haters cause they ain't out of was a hustle, I swear I'm just like them Girl, put your titties in my face, that's why I like them Hey, big heads, but I love big faces My name is Victorious, I already taste it That important shot, I gotta hit it cause I'm clutch, baby Young Reese, he's way too much lately living mania Feeling crazy, you know what's up, baby KT's the place where I'm at Where they get hit with the Mac, they get stabbed in the back I could pull along with a link up with the pack Eating motherfucking beef, 
like they some type of snack. And then I hit the club, see the people moving. I be chasing paper while some people still snoozing. If you ain't winning, must mean you're losing. That's taking L's and that's something I ain't doing. I'm a straight winner from beginner, you should know that. From the killer city, so you know I gotta show that. See the cush masses, break it down and roll that. Trying to get some rap after that, get some more rap. Hey, wrestling fans, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat talking at you, and you're listening to the Wrestle Talk Podcast. All right, welcome back to hour number two of the Wrestle Talk Podcast. The first hour, I tell you, uh, actually a little over an hour, but that was just an awesome interview, and uh, it was, if you missed it, then uh, you really missed something, I tell you. And unfortunately, uh, the night owl had to drop off here, so for the second hour, I'm going to have uh, Mr. Nightmare Jones coming in here. So, Nightmare, are you with us? What's up, what's up, what's up? I am trying to get this uh, live stream going. So hopefully, I can get it going. Uh, it might be going. I don't know if they can see me or not. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't done a live stream before, but... Let's see here. Let's try this. Um, well, I tell you what, real quick here, Nightmare, while you're getting that live stream going, during the uh, shoot and shout segment on the first hour, we went through the WWF or WWE bracket from the 80s and who had won. So while you're getting that going, let me run through the. Uh, through the other promotions bracket here real quick for the uh, first round of our Wrestling Madness tournament. So we had uh, Eddie Gilbert versus Shane Douglas, and Eddie Gilbert came out the winner. Mil, Mil Mesocruz. Oh, sorry. Mil Mesocruz versus the Great Muda, and the Great Muda took that one. Terry Gordy versus Kevin Von Erich. The winner there was Kevin Von Erich. Jeff Jarrett versus Kerry Von Erich. The winner there was Kerry Von Erich. Steve Williams versus Antonio Anoki. Antonio Anoki took it. Bret Hart versus Butch Reed. Bret Hart took that one. Chris Adams versus Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes took that. Dick Murdoch versus Rick Rude. And Dick Murdoch took that round. What do you think about those there, Nightmare? Man, those were some really, really, really hard uh, matches. Like, really, really freaking hard matches. Like, wow. But, of course, you know, I had to go with the Great Mooders. Like, Great Mooders is one of my favorite wrestlers. So I had to go with the Great Mooders, 100%. All right. 
So yes, it, it was uh, it was a difficult one. So when the second round gets put up, I I can only imagine how difficult that second round is going to be in some of the matchups that's going to be there. But uh, yeah. you know, we we got to be getting to our uh, second interview here of the night. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you uh, are you ready for for Adrenaline Adrian Matthews? I am ready for Adrenaline Adrian Matthews. This is going to be absolutely amazing. I can't wait. Let's do this. All right. Do you want to introduce him, or do you want me to do it? I can go ahead and, and introduce Adrian Matthews. This Adrian Matthews is the guy that has not only had a, a long professional wrestling career, but he's also had a very long football career. He's had NFL tryouts. He's wrestled for the WCWC. He's wrestled the the, the likes of, of, of Mike Seidel. And one of the guys that we've had on the podcast before, Darren Corbin, he's had feuds with, with the likes of Ricky Gibson. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's all honor to bring on the one and only Adrian. Adrian, let's bring him on. All right, it's our pleasure to welcome Adrian Matthews. How's it going, Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, man, it is absolutely amazing. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, sir. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So I guess that's the first question that that we have to ask is, uh, what has Adrian Matthews been doing since all this this COVID has has hit? Because... I know that where I live, there hasn't been any wrestling shows, and Nightmare Jones is chosen for a wrestling show. Let's let let let's just put it that way. You know, it's funny uh, talking about all this. Um, last show, beginning of at the very end of 2019, uh, beginning of 2020, I had suffered a really bad uh, leg injury that I had to have three surgeries on, and after that, Ooh. probably about seven months after that, I actually ended up hanging up the boots uh, during COVID and just because it seemed like the right time. And so I'm actually mm-hmm. in ring uh, retired right now. Okay. So you're in ring retired. Does that mean that we won't see Adrian Matthews as like a manager or, you know, that, 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 that we're still going to see Adrian Matthews just maybe not in the ring. Exactly, yeah, and I'm actually working on a decent amount of projects uh, right now that will involve wrestling, but more of a entertainment-style show uh, that I can't disclose too much information about, but I've been working on a very uh, big project that hopefully will be launching towards the end of uh, the end of this year. Awesome, awesome, but we definitely look forward to uh, uh, seeing what 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 you've got got for us. Now, Adrian, not only were you a professional wrestler, but you also were very, very big in uh, 
professional football in a, a football, as I, I, I should say. Can can you tell us about your football career? Yeah, I wouldn't say I was on anything big time, but I had uh, enjoyed a really good college uh, career, and I started my college career at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, and, uh, you know, I was tired of being on a losing team, and I had a smaller injury that ended up, you know, having to transfer out of there, and then I went to Benedictine College and had a pretty darn good career, and towards the end of that career, I thought, you know, I was hot shit, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go try, you know, go to an NFL tryout and see how that goes. It did not go well whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, that was uh, kind of the end of that. But I enjoyed a very successful college career that ended up setting me uh, up for a very good uh, pro wrestling career. Okay. So I guess that, that, that my next question before I throw it to uh, uh, John, because I know he has, has a couple questions, is is what exactly got you to transition from football to professional wrestling? Well, I'd always been a massive professional wrestling fan. I, from the time I was like four years old, did all throughout, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, even all my college friends thought I was weird for watching pro wrestling. And um, mm-hmm. after college football ended, I just needed to fulfill that dream to at least try and go after it. And, you know, yeah. there was no – you know, conversation of like, oh, maybe I should do it. It was like, nope, well, that's over, and this is going to happen now. Okay. That definitely make, makes makes uh, sense. You know, it's, it's awesome that you were able to transition. Uh, John, why don't you come in here with whatever questions that you have, sir? All right. Well, I know you said that, uh, you know, ever since you were a kid, you were watching wrestling and everything. But who were some of the biggest influences on your wrestling career? On my wrestling career, like what led me into be, wanting to become a pro wrestler? Yeah, who who were some of your biggest influences to that? Oh, definitely Goldberg was the hottest thing in '97 and '98 when I was a little kid, and I just that was the first thing I ever saw in pro wrestling because I was a WCW kid. Um, I hated uh, WWE back in the day, hated them. And um, I'll never forget just watching, you know, when I was a little kid sitting on the couch and watching Goldberg during his entrance walk through his uh, pyro, and I was just like instantly hooked. I wanted to be just like Goldberg, and, uh, you know, that kind of just led down the incredible rabbit hole that wrestling is and never left it after that. All right. Um, One thing I always like to ask people, you know, I see that you have wrestled a lot of names, you know, Ricky Gibson, Darren Corbin, J.J. Garrett, the Yoga Monster, um, several others. And so it looks like you've been having a pretty good career, and I'm sure that there's a lot of those matches that are memorable and a lot of them that you really enjoyed and everything. But I know you said you're – in ring retired, but if you have one more match in you that you could set up against anybody, current or past or anything, who would your dream match be against? I, I think my answer is going to surprise you. It's not going to be some you know huge name in the wrestling industry. Um, a pretty recognizable name, but I would uh, 
you know, love the opportunity to actually work a match with uh, Alex Hammerstone. And, uh, you know, we had wrestled with each other through, uh, you know, the Paragon Pro Wrestling Days and all throughout West Coast Wrestling Connection. Um, and so Alexander Hammerstone was always someone that I wanted to wrestle with and, you know, work a match with, but never had the opportunity to. Okay. <clears throat> that sounds like that would be a pretty good match there. And uh, who who has your most memorable match been against? Ooh, that's tough. I think uh, one of my a memory that really sticks out to me is my first match against uh, Caleb Conley at a house show for West Coast Wrestling Connection. Um, I was so stressed out because when Caleb goes into a match, he expects nothing but perfection in the match. Like, you better know exactly what he's going to be calling in the ring. You better know exactly how his tone is. You better be ready to follow and call at the same time. And so I just remember that being very uh, stressful going into it. But then once we hit the ring, uh, everything was just flowing and clicking very well. And it was just, you know, at that point in time, it had let me know that I was much bigger than I thought I was. I thought I was on a, you know, very mediocre level. And at that moment made me realize, okay, maybe I can hang with some of the bigger talent in the industry. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of my last questions before I throw it back to uh, Nightmare Jones there is a lot of our listeners are people who aspire to be wrestlers. Some are already in wrestling school. Some are looking at wrestling schools. Uh, some are just starting out. What are you, What suggestion would you give to anybody who's just coming into the business? I'll just be ready to work. Like there's no easy way to, there's no fast track unless you're six, four, 265 pounds and jacked out of your mind and you can, you know, sling any type of promo that you want. You really just got to put in the work and you have to stay dedicated and you have to show up and it's not showing up just once or twice a week. You have to show up every day that you're able to train you know, and really make it a priority. If you want to be successful in the industry, if you want it just to be a weekend warrior working for the same promotion for 10 years, once a month, that's all well and good. Everyone, you know, everyone has a different cup of tea. That wasn't my cup of tea, you know, and I always just tell people, don't focus on, you know, what could be, focus on the now and what you need to do to get to the next level. That makes sense. That, that sounds like solid advice right there. So, all right, Nightmare, I know you've got a few more questions here for him. So why don't you go ahead and ask uh, ask what you got there? I do, I do. Um, so, Adrian, as I was looking up some information on you, uh, one of the things that I saw was you've had quite a few matches with, with a guy by the name of uh, Ricky Gibson. I would almost say that that was almost like a rivalry of yours. What was it like wrestling uh, Ricky Gibson? Oh, that prick. I hated wrestling him. <laughs> no, I loved wrestling against Ricky Gibson. Ricky Gibson was uh, one of my first matches when I was uh, at the West Coast Wrestling Connection. Um, that He literally came up to me. He's like, hey, 
you're a big, tall guy. What do you want to do? And I started naming everything. It's like, we're not going to do any of that. I'll just see you out there. And he just walked out right before, like, our <laughs> matches started. I was like, and the whole time he was ribbing on me throughout the whole match. And it was just a great time. And little did I know, I ended up wrestling him probably close to 50 or 60 different times mm-hmm. throughout the next four years. And it was just always so much fun working on him. It was never boring. We always came up with new ideas and angles to work, and it was never a dull moment. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I've actually heard of uh, Ricky Gibson, and, you know, I, I, he's a phenomenal athlete. Um, so you've also wrestled against uh, a couple guys that have been on the uh, podcast before, and, and one of them is known as the yoga monster, Matt, uh, Mike Seidel. Uh, what was it like wrestling Mike Seidel? Oh, I love Mike. Mike is uh, another great guy. Uh, someone I looked up to uh, early on in my career, he had wrestled in Colorado for a company called Lucha Libre and laughs multiple times. And, uh, I'd always worked shows with them, and then one day we actually got to work a couple of shows with each other, and it was just much, uh, you know, it was just really laid back, and let's see how it goes out there. Mm-hmm. He was a super athletic. You know, not the biggest guy in the world, but he was so athletic and so gifted on being able to adjust in the match so quickly, you know, and contrast to his brother, Matt Seidel, who is more of – you know, on the same level as Caleb Conley, where it's like you expect a certain amount of performance, and if you don't meet that, you know, you kind of put yourself in a hole for the next couple of months in your career. Where Mike is like, hey, if something happens out there, we'll fix it, we'll keep on moving on, and I'll never forget just watching him do that with countless other guys. Yeah, Mike Sadell is definitely a boy in the. Let's talk podcast. So, I guess then my next question is: If somebody were to come up to you and ask you about getting into pro wrestling, how would you tell them to get into pro wrestling? Like, what advice would you give them? Find a good school to go train at. Not just any school. A school that has reputation behind it, that has a track record of success. And also as a school that really teaches you the business side of it, not just the bump, you know, not just to work for the local show in and out, you know, to actually encourage you to go to other promotions, work other promotions, learn how to get those promotions to pay for your travel, to pay you per match, and, you know, to make it a potential for you to make a legitimate cash off of it instead of just hoping to break even on a trip. And I feel like that's a big thing a lot of new kids miss out on is they get so focused on just bumping and, you know, learning how to do cool moves, which that's all fine, I guess, but you should really Mm -hmm. understand the business side and marketing yourself and learning how to work. So it's appetizing to a promoter to bring you back. Absolutely. Uh, I I could not agree more. Uh, You you definitely want to find a not just a good school, but but a, a reputable school because there are a lot of schools out there that that are not very uh, reputable. So it's a very 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 good 
ad- advice. Now, one of the things that a lot of people know about pro wrestling is the car trips, going from one place to another place. And so do you have any uh, uh, road trip stories that you can tell the Wrestle Talk podcast? Because I know that, that you've been on, on road trips. Oh, yeah. I have been on plenty of road trips. Actually, uh, listening to your last interview, I was listening to it and uh, talking about the Waterloo, uh, Iowa Hall of Fame. Uh, we actually mm-hmm. had a car of guys go out there for a uh, opportunity to wrestle in front of uh, Jerry Briscoe. And, nice. you know, this kind of would lead to some guys getting tryouts and other guys getting opportunities elsewhere if you were good. But I'll never forget, you know, getting to this little podunk town and, you know, we worked a couple mm-hmm. shows, we worked our audition matches, and on the way back, we had stopped in, uh, oh gosh, where was it? In Omaha, Nebraska. And we stopped at a strip club. And man, <laughs> I had never spent so much money in my life and uh, played a horrible prank that I probably couldn't say on the air to uh, one Cody Devine. And uh, it was just one of those trips that, you know, guys ended up having to ask you to borrow money. And, you know, it just, was one of those classic trips that made you so grateful that you're in the industry and then also made you regret how much you just spent. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Like, 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 like a great story. Wouldn't you agree, John? It it does. And, you know, you, you, you say you probably couldn't say it on the air, but we're actually, you know, a, uh, a podcast. So, we don't have some of the restrictions other people have. So when it comes to, when it comes to being censored, we always ask the, our resident censor, the iron Sheik, what he thinks about censorship and, uh, and how we censor around here. So what's our censor level around here there, Sheik? Fucking bullshit. There you go. (laughs) Uh, okay, great. Well, then I'll tell the story. So, <laughs> okay. We had been. This was a very loose strip club, and uh, okay. a very very loose strip club. Uh, and so the girls were extremely friendly, and uh, you know I had ended up hooking up with this one stripper, and she was uh, very kind. And you know uh, after that, we had gotten done, and I looked over to my best one of my friends, Cody Devine, and I was like, I went to the girl, I was like, hey, after what you had just done to me, you know, and after what's been in your mouth, I want you to go make out with that guy. And she's like, that guy right there, and it was Cody Devine. And so I paid her $500 to go make out with her. Oh, wow. (laughs) And Cody Devine, the worst part, he was so excited. He's like, hey, that stripper just made out with me. I was like, oh, yeah, buddy? I was like, yeah, that's, she's so hot. I was like, what it tastes like, though? And he's like, what do you mean what it tastes like? I was like, because oh, I just unloaded in her mouth. <laughs> and he immediately <laughs> ran to the bathroom and threw up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, I... <laughs> oh, that, that you know what? It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so I had to do it. Oh, oh my goodness. 
So you've actually won the uh, WCWC uh, championship. Uh, what 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 was it like winning that championship? Um, it was it was nice because my run with WCWC was great and like frustrating at the same time. And I'm always going to shoot honest with everyone, and I'm a very uh, what's the best word? very opinionated and very blunt with people. So this might come off as like a kick to the crotch of some people, you know, but when I first started working in the West coast wrestling connection, WCWC, um, you know, I was kind of looked at as like, Oh, he's the new favorite because I am a, you know, a good looking guy. I'm tall and in shape and, you know, everyone, the booking team uh, really tried really hard to put me in a level to where I wasn't going to be able to get over with the crowd. And, you know, it got to the point where the promoter and the owner who's been on your show uh, a couple times was just, he was like, enough, we're going to start pushing this kid, you know? And, you know, it was really kind of uh, satisfying to stick it to the booking team to finally be like, Hey, you guys, Made enough liked me for whatever reason they didn't like me. They, you know, it ended up working out, and it was a really uh, good achieving moment for me to realize, you know, sometimes you can overcome people's bias against you, and mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to know that the industry still has those subtle parts where your talent does matter, and your, you know, your work ethic will take you to places. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, it's always great. You know, when when the the, the company respects you, and uh, you know, you know, especially for all your hard work. I refereed for a uh, company that uh, they put their cruiserweight championship on on a guy that that had been wrestling for them for a while, but they didn't tell him that they were going to put the title on him. He they. they he was supposed to lose the match. He thought he was going to lose the match, but he actually ended up winning the match, and the reaction was, was one of the best reactions that I've ever seen. It was was yeah. pretty cool. That's awesome. Definitely, definitely, definitely pretty cool. But my last question before I send it back to Hans to see if he has any more questions is uh, – you know, you've been in the wrestling business for quite some time. How do you feel that the wrestling business has changed throughout the years? So, when I first started wrestling back in 2014, so not too long ago, you know, it was very, it was on the cusp of the indie starting to get well known. And mm-hmm. it was a great experience to see all these companies start flourishing and expanding because of social media and because of new avenues to market to more than just the, you know, the kids who take their parents to go see WWE, you know, and it gave people a lot of opportunity to see a more connected group of wrestlers who really have a different relationship than people do in a huge corporate setting like WWE or any, or all elite wrestling do and it it gives you a different feel and it makes you in my opinion it makes you feel more part of that show in the indie circuit and it was a great time to 
be a part of a lot of companies that grew, not just the West Coast Wrestling Connection, but being you know able to wrestle on national television for a short time and being able to travel coast to coast and have companies actually pay you your flight, your booking, your hotel, you know, just to have you come work a show for them. It was very, you know, exciting, and I was very lucky to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that 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 that's uh, uh, that's definitely a a, a great thing. Uh, so, Hawks, if you have any more questions, why don't you you come in here? If not, then we can get into the Best uh, uh, of Talk Podcast Game Show Challenge. I just have uh, one more question here. You know, I know that you've been invited to some of the most prestigious professional wrestling organizations in the world, including uh, NXT. Can you tell us a little bit about getting invited to the to NXT? Yeah, it was it was awesome. Like I had ended up having one official tryout, and then I we'll go through the whole story. So when I was first getting into pro wrestling, and I was greener than goose shit. It was ridiculous. I had done a, you know, uh, evaluation match in front of Jerry Briscoe. And I might have just been out of training for like three months. And, you know, he saw me and he was looking at my resume before the match and he saw that I had had NFL tryouts. And that's literally what got me the tryout. And I never ended up telling anyone about this because, you know, I was like, okay, they don't want me telling anyone. And then the tryout went so bad, I didn't want to tell anyone after that because I was very embarrassed. And, uh, you know, it was super exciting. But then I thought I was never going to get that opportunity again. And, uh, what, maybe three years went by, and it ended up tearing my pec muscle off the bone. And I had mm-hmm. a call uh, from NXT, you know, wanting me to come back for a second tryout. And unfortunately, due to that injury, I was just like, I can't make it. That sucks. And so going through rehab on my pec, coming back, ended up working as a heel. I had another call. And at this time, you know, my passion for, you know, NXT had gone away. And I actually turned down a third opportunity to try out with them probably two, two years ago now. So just ended up walking away, and I realized, you know, that corporate setting wasn't for me. You know, I'm a person that believes in, you know, I'm going to do things a certain way. I hate being told what to do, what I can do, what I can't do, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I just, the more and more I saw that, the more and more I got to know people who actually worked for the company. I was just like, I don't want to be a part of it. I'm making plenty of money, you know, with my, you know, my shoot job and on top of what I was making on the indies, I was making plenty of money and I just didn't need it. There you go. All right. That, you know, if, if if it's not something that you want to do, then then by all means, you know, you 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 did what you wanted to do, and that is absolutely awesome. I'd like to think so. You know, hopefully one day I can look back and be like, oh yeah, I made the right choice. But we'll find out. Well, and you know, I think it's actually commendable. There's because there's actually a lot of people out there that would have looked at an opportunity like that and said, well, they're calling me to NXT. This could be my shot and took off and went, even though, you know, they felt the way that you do that, you know, they don't, the corporate aspect of it is not for them. And then they would have tried 
went and really tried to do something or be some somebody that they weren't comfortable with. So, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that you stuck to what you're comfortable to and everything and, and knew that, you know, this just isn't for me, that that's actually commendable in itself. I, I truly believe oh, that. Thank you very much. No, I, I agree. And I feel like a lot of kids, unfortunately, wrestling has bred this mentality that where a lot of people don't have a plan B, you know, and, you know, just to be honest with everyone who's thinking about getting into pro wrestling, you know, you actually have a better shot at becoming an NFL football player or a major league baseball player than you do being a WWE superstar, let alone being a, you know, a top athlete that makes seven figures in wrestling. It is, the numbers are astronomical, you know, and people need to realize you need to have, a backup plan, and it's not a bad idea to have a backup plan. It's not a, you know, it's not going to hold you back from doing things. It's just to, you know, just in case things don't work out, you have a good way of making money and making a good living instead of just, you know, working a minimum wage job after you've been wrestling 10 years. You know, and you know, it's something that I feel like everyone needs to take a step back and look at it from that aspect. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something a lot of people don't think about it is having a plan B. You know, everybody, a lot of people say this is what I want to do and focus on that so much that, you know, if it doesn't happen, they're just lost. And, it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that's great advice to always have a backup. So, all right. Well, if you are, uh, if you're game here, we actually have a little thing we like to do called uh, the Wrestle Talk Podcast Game Show Challenge. And basically what we do is we uh, we go through and we give you clues. We ask, give you questions about uh, professional wrestlers and see if you can guess the wrestler. The first person that, get, that guesses three wrestlers wins the challenge. So uh, you would be going against Nightmare Jones tonight. So are are you game to uh, play our little challenge? Let's do this, Nightmare. Bring it. Oh, let's do this. I I, All right. I have a track record for winning, so just so you know, I have a track record of winning. Oh, crap. <laughs> Hopefully it's all 90s-related questions. You, you're, you're just trying to psych him out there, Nightmare. Come on now. I you forget the rest you, of us. The rest of us know your record. Come on. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get into this thing. Tonight's contest is scheduled for the best two out of three falls. Our contestants is the Nightmare Jones, Joe Lance, and the Adrenaline, Adrian Matthews. In a few moments, I will ask you three questions about particular professional wrestling topics. Whenever you think you know the answer to the question, shout out your answer. 
The first person to win two falls will win tonight's game show challenge. In honor of tonight's guest, our Wrestle Talk Podcast Game Show Challenge category is simply titled 2014. I will give background information about three professional wrestlers who debuted in 2014. When you think you know who I'm talking about, please shout out the answer. The first person to win two falls will win tonight's contest. Adrian, are you ready? I'm ready. Nightmare Jones, are you ready? I was born ready. Let's do this. All right. Question number one. This professional wrestler debuted in late 2014, and her career she completed in-game changer wrestling women superstar uncensored shine and combat zone. You can presently see her in all elite wrestling as a wrestler and as a valet for her husband, super bad Kip Sabian. Um, uh, I don't really like AEW. Um, oh, who is it? That's, I know the name. Is that the tip of my, my tongue? Um, any guesses? Penelope, Penelope, I have no clue. Penelope Ford? That is correct. Nightmare Jones scores uh, the first ball. Man. Guy was never going right. to get that uh, one. <laughs> that's all right. You're still in this, though. Question number two. This professional wrestler debuted in 2014. In addition to competing in Evolve Wrestling, this wrestler has made a huge impact in NXT. Most recently, she won the inaugural Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic with Dakota Kai. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Nightmare, you're probably going to win this because I, I don't I have no clue either. <laughs> um, I don't... I think, if I'm not mistaken... I don't know her last name. I just know that her name is Raquel. Raquel or something like Raquel, that, if I'm not mistaken. Raquel Gonzalez. Oh my God, see, I would never guess that. Yeah, I never would have <laughs> guessed that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But you know what? We we do have an extra question if needed. So since you only got the first name right, I'm going to throw that one out. Let's oh, go. that one does not count. What is this? As, what are you making up the rules as you go, man? As the game show I, host, I, I have that authority. <laughs> I smell the shade. The good question. shade. <laughs> <laughs> this professional wrestler debuted in September 2014. Over the course of his career, this wrestler has completed competed in MCW Evolve Wrestling and NXT. Hailing from Washington, D.C. and known for his entrance with all purple lights, this wrestler is a former NXT North American champion. 
by defeating Johnny Gargano. Um, Washington, D.C. I should know this because he's like in my area. So I, I should know this. Um, I should know this too, and I'm really frustrated that I can't think of his name. The think, the think of a dream? fabric. There you go. The velvet. I knew that answer too. That pisses me off. <laughs> All right. So officially, Nightmare Jones has won, but just. For fun, so I'll ask you this last question, just so we can uh, see if Nightmare Jones would sweep this or not. He's probably this going professional to. Re- <laughs> this professional wrestler debuted in late 2014. Over the course of his career, he has competed in Combat Zone Wrestling, Ring of Honor Wrestling, NXT, the WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Major League Wrestling. This man is known by the nickname the Man of the Hour. He's won the 2016 ROH Top Prospect Tournament, the CZW World Champion or Heavyweight Championship, the NXT Cruiserweight Champion, and is reigning MLW World Champion and AAA World Cruiserweight Champion. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I I have no idea. Oh, any guesses? Hold on. Oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. I'm I'm drawing a blank. It always seems easy till you're put on the spot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, I have no clue. It was Leo Rush. Oh, really? Uh, so, Nightmare oh. Jones has won the Wrestle Talk Podcast Game Show Challenge. DJ yeah. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody has. And they stay there, and they say yeah, and they say there. See, now if you face... I'm a sore loser. Then you might have won if you faced the Nino, but you faced Nightmare Jones. It happens. It happens. You did a good job. Well, I'll give you that. I'll I, <laughs> I tell you what. Promise us that you will come back, and we'll see if we can get you somebody else next time. Yeah, I feel like that was a rigged match. I'm just going to call, leave that out there right now. That was definitely rigged. I feel like, you know, the cards are stacked against me because I'm the new guy on the show. Uh, I, I understand everything, you know, have to make me earn my stripes, but I think it was a little unfair. Oh, my goodness. Do we have Drake Maverick on the line here? That's who this is starting to sound like. Again. Starting to cry no, like no, Drake. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Just much bigger. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, like I say, just 
Promise us that you'll come back and uh, we'd love to have you on the show again sometime. And uh, before we, uh, I'd love before to be we get out of here, all right, before we get out of here, why don't you tell our fans where they can find you, uh, you know, all your, your social media, your Facebook and Twitter and anything you may have. You know, everyone can just find me on Facebook, Adrian Matthews. Uh, you're going to find the guy who's just flexing for no reason as a profile picture, and that's me. I got rid of uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, you know, and decided to keep the Facebook page for wrestling reasons. But everyone make sure to stay tuned. You know, I have a couple of huge projects coming up, and, uh, you know, keep your eyes open for it. All right. Well, it sounds good. And like I said, we look forward to having you on again another time. Thank you very much for uh, for your patience and everything. That, like I said, the first interviews, you know, it ran over. The when you get uh, people like we had on the first one, it's just so hard to break away. Um, but then again, yeah, we really to wanted to talk up. with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we have enjoyed talking with you. Um, unfortunately, my uh, co-host there, Nightmare Jones, seems to have had some phone issues there. So on behalf of Nightmare Jones, thank you very much for, for being here on behalf of all of our fans and the Russell Talk podcast. And do you have any no, thank uh, you for having any, me. anything else before uh before we go? Any last parting words? Ah, everyone just enjoy life. All right. Well, thank thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was adrenaline. Adrian Matthews. What what an interview. And uh, like I say, unfortunately, Nightmare Jones is having some communication problems. His phone has dropped off. So I guess I'll be going ahead and closing out the show. Of course, we can't do that without our sponsors. Um, Now, I I will admit I may not have them at all here, but uh, I-70 Sports Media, Royal Mills Transportation, the KC Sports Bar. Um, ah, geez, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> drawing a blank now. But uh, to all of our sponsors, we greatly appreciate everything you do for us. And uh, please be sure to tune in next week for episode 336. We'll have another great episode lined up for you. Until then, peace out, ladies and gentlemen.